Welcome. It's time once again. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails, your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime customer guy, product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. Uh, I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, time to take that break, time to talk about data. And today I'm super excited. We have Alexa Westlake, who's a senior data analyst at Okta. We're going to get diving into like real hands-on, rolling up our sleeves about data teams and just how we're driving results. Alexa, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm doing great. How are you? Well, we're super excited for our conversation. And, and we were just chatting before this, and you also just came back from some really uh, awesome places that we're interested in hearing. But with that, let's let's kick it off. Uh, tell and toast, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for today? Yeah, totally. So I brought something from my travels. Uh, this is Mirta Raki. It is a Croatian myrtle liquor. Uh, Raki is a distilled with local fruit. So it uses whatever fruit in the Balkans is most present in that region. So uh, in Dalmatia and in the Dalmatian coast, where I just was in Croatia, uh, they make it from grapes. So just pluck grapes. Um, I got this one on a wine tour while I was out of office for my partner's mother's 60th birthday. And then since I just got back, I also have some Gatorade because I'm still <laughs> getting those electrolytes in uh, a little bit jet lagged, but I am toasting to a corporate culture that treats employees like human beings and not human doings. Um, I feel very grateful to take the time to celebrate my family and life's important milestones and while our work at Okta is held to high standards, people do their best work when they're at their best, and taking time off to focus on you is a key part of that. So cheers. That's, that's an excellent. Uh, cheer, cheer, cheers to company cultures that really drive that uh, as employees, like you're, they, they treat you as you just be, you got you to gotta be your best and you go do you because you being your best, that's how we're all going to be great as a company. Exactly. Cheers to that. Tim, what are, what are you up to? What are you drinking? I'm drinking something a little bit weird today. Um, not as interesting as uh, as you, Alexa, which I'm, I'm fascinated. I took some notes because I actually want to see if I can try that at some point. Um, but I'm, I'm actually drinking something that is non-alcoholic, technically, Whoa, asterisk. Yeah. It's called Gia, and it's got a really strong bitter and also a ginger note. So if you want to try like a, a non-alcoholic uh, cocktail, it's G-H-I-A. I recommend you give that a try. But I will, uh, it, there's an asterisk because I'm cheating. Um, I actually think it tastes better with a little bit of an orange note. So I added a little bit of orange liqueur to it, Matilda, which is really tasty. So it is a, not a mocktail, it is a low cocktail that I'm drinking today. That, that That's a very, that, that's, Gia, I've never heard of this. This is really cool. Yeah, it's really tasty. I've been trying more of these non-alcoholic cocktail type mixes. And I find that if something is pretending to be whiskey, it tastes pretty bad. But if it's like uh, if it's like an alternative thing where it's like herbs or botanicals or things, it's actually quite good. So for those thinking of trying out, you know, mocktail type things, that's my advice to you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm actually having a, a little uh, uh, something not similar, but I mean, has all the it's gin. It's just classic tankerai, which I enjoy. I didn't have any tonic, but uh, so it's sparkling, uh, sparkling water. But I have some cucumbers in it. I'm just I'm in this big cucumber mode right now. I, I love cucumbers, and then I'm ordering a lot of cucumber. I'm buying a lot of cucumbers, and my wife is like, "What are we gonna do with all these cucumbers?" Like, I'm 
die happily cucumber like this. So, <laughs> You're like, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you got my veggies and my drinks. So cheers, cheers. Cheers. All right. So because the topic today is driving results. Uh, so I'm using ChatGPT to help us come up with like funny questions, uh, warm-up questions. So question today is driving results is the theme today. If driving results were an actual road trip, what kind of snacks would you pack for the journey to success? <laughs> oh, I love that. So I, I'd say, hmm, number one, I would make sure to ask whoever's in the car with me what their top snacks are, because the journey to success is most important when you listen to the people that you're driving with. Um, I'd also say bring a lot of water because you're likely gonna have to take a lot of detours and you wanna make sure that you're very well hydrated and prepared for all of the detours and uh, unexpected trips that you're going to eventually have to take on the way. That that's just like an awesome like mic drop moment because I was not expecting to come. Like that. <laughs> Especially because you started off with like asking the other people because I was thinking about this like what do I want and I think that's already kind of the problem right there. I was thinking about me and not like hey by the way if I'm going to I'm driving to success I'm probably not going by myself. So yeah yeah the road true. to success is not something you can often take alone. That, that was a very polished answer, Alexa, to a very um, sudden and unexpected question. So good job there. <laughs> By the way, I, I told this question to Alexa like one minute before it went live. So like, <laughs> she was, she's on her toes. Um, anything you want to add to? <laughs> I think you stated it very well, Alexa. The only thing I would mention is I, I think bring some tw uh, Twizzlers because I, I, I think that life is going to send twists. So have some twisty snacks as well. <laughs> All right. Well, so let's kick this off. So. Honest, no BS. Uh, it seems that most data teams are focused on outputs when uh, teams should really be focused on outcomes. That's uh, that's kind of my impression. I've seen things around. Why is that? I mean, first of all, do you agree or is that what you're seeing? And, and why are why so much focus on outputs instead of outcomes? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. I'd say that, you know, we often as data professionals focus on what we can measure and not necessarily what we should measure. So it, it's easy to understand what the milestones and kind of project deliverables are. So we assume that if we're ticking boxes, then we're doing a good job. And, and I'd say that, you know, it, it's not that we have to measure outcomes over outputs. I think that the relationship between the two of them is very important. You know, you can't achieve outcomes without those project milestones and often, outputs can be leading indicators of outcomes. That being said, if we're not understanding what the outcome of all of the milestones and outputs are, then what's the point? Um, we need to make sure that throughout the entire life cycle, even when we're done with projects, we understand you know, what the measurable business outcomes that we see from the lifetime value of that project are whether that is something like an ARR measurement or a case volume measurement, but actually understanding, you know, what the business is trying to achieve and how we can set up measurement to understand that those outcomes are, are, are tracked over time. Yeah, no, I think that's very well stated. Um, like uh, Alexa, you're, you're on a data team and you have to work with a lot of different people uh, to try to drive, you know, not just output, but outcomes and, and rally a bunch of other people to, to do the same. Um, can you talk a little bit about like 
you know, the kind of work that you're doing and, you know, how, uh, how are you all, uh, you know, at Okta and yourself trying to drive, you know, this sort of outcome orientation, not this output orientation? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, our, our company vision is to free everyone to safely use any technology. And, and just like Okta does that, our data team's North Star is to empower the enterprise with trusted, timely, and transparent data. So our data strategy focuses on making Okta's products better, uh, developing relative or relevant features, enhancing our security posture, and using it to improve our customer experience. Um, so it's impressed, it's especially crucial to understand our customer. So relevant data gives us the ability to apply those predictive and targeted insights throughout the customer journey, which can help influence our go-to-market strategies, our product roadmap, um, enable our customer success teams to have knowledgeable and proactive conversations with our customers. So, you know, we're seeing tremendous innovation throughout the entire data lifecycle. And what's crucial is to ultimately generate better, deeper insights and making sure that they're deployed to the right part of the business. So we, we create a closed loop ecosystem. And what I mean by this to close the loop is that you can either connect an insight to a person so they can make a better decision, or you can enable a system to leverage that insight automatically. And so really our data strategy uses a mixture of these two approaches to contribute to data becoming kind of the lifeblood of our organization. This is, I like how you said this, you know, you're a closed loop system and you want to connect the insights either to a person. So you actually, so you, so you know, like here's, here's this goal and there's this team, there's actually this person who's, who needs that, who needs this insight. And, but at the same time, there's actually a system itself, right? And then that yeah. can be automatic. So uh, this is a this is a very interesting. Uh, I like how you how you're presenting this. It could be a person. It could be the entire process, a system out there, and it's that closed loop ecosystem. So you get mm -hmm. back from them to make sure that that was the right thing. And if it isn't, then go correct that. And you're always measuring, right? So question here is like, what are the things that? How, what is what should you be measuring? How do you come up with what needs to be measured? Uh, uh, because there's you can measure so much stuff, right? And yeah. boil the ocean on measurements and stuff. But and and, that, and that's exactly kind of kind of the the main issue is data teams are being pulled in so many different directions, and it 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 would be impossible for us to measure everything that everyone wants to measure. And so, like we what we do is we create a culture of kind of joint ownership over success metrics. And, and the idea is to kind of look at the results of the most prominent and uh, current projects. So we kind of we want to measure what we're aiming to achieve within that quarter. So whether this is an output or an outcome, you're not going to see outcomes every single quarter. If, if you're in the foundational stage, you want to measure outputs. And so really, we work really closely with our business partners to ensure that what we're measuring is the most relevant thing right now. So that's interesting. Is, is there kind of a maturity curve around this then where, you know, like you may actually start a little more output oriented before you, you get to outputs? And it sounds like Absolutely. outputs are a little more long term oriented. Absolutely. And so I'd say, you know, we kind of and, and we talked a little bit about this is we look at it kind of like a waterfall. 
right? So you look at your output measurements and then you're trying to translate those to outcomes. And so the idea is if you're hitting those crucial non-negotiable outputs within a certain amount of time, then you should see outcomes in the next quarter, in the next two quarters. And, and you know, this, this maturity curve, we're still getting good at this. And I think uh, it's something that is a muscle and it's very hard to kind of develop in theory versus in practice. This, what, I, what I find interesting already diving into this whole outputs and outcomes, first of all, is that I don't think a lot of people realize the distinction about them. So I'd love to kind of go into some examples of like, let, 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 let's kind of brainstorm here live about like what, what would be an out, what do you consider an output and what do you consider an outcome? But I think one, having that distinction that people should be able to say, well, is that an output or an outcome? And then be able to go say, well, all these outputs are helping us go drive this outcome. I think that's another, that's another interesting takeaway here. And something that I, that, that I, I really like here that we're talking about is that the outcome is not something that's going to happen every quarter. I think, People are like, really, I, I'm dry. They like, they want to be successful. They want to do all these things all the time. Like they're like hoping to go see or expecting to go see all these success. We're being successful every quarter and so forth. And so we're expecting to go see those outcomes. They're like, well, no, it doesn't happen always that way, right? It, like you have to go do all this work and it's not going to just every quarter, like all, all the work is perfectly going to fit in three three months, right? So exactly. a lot of like, I mean, this goes into your yearly planning and how this thing happens. So Anyways, I'm starting to rant here a little bit, but I'd love to go back and let's go share some examples, come up with uh, about outputs and outcomes and how this would be connected. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd say to kind of build on that, you know, there's this cascading cause and effect and the storytelling around the metrics and how and when they'll have downstream impact is almost more important than the metric itself. Right. So the way that you're kind of telling the story of we did this and, and you know, we split it up and I'll, I'll add some meat to this. We split it up in kind of three different categories. There's the system improvement uh, metrics that are non-negotiable outputs, things like we're going to, you know, reduce load time. Um, we want to. Uh, you know, reduce costs of, say, our snowflake spend, et cetera, outputs. And then we look at kind of the process automation piece of this. So saying if we're doing these outputs correctly, now we're going to measure the maturity of our key processes that we're looking to actively improve. And then the third pillar is around people experiences, which those are the hard outcomes that stakeholders supported by whatever initiative that we're driving directly feel. So this can be things like a customer satisfaction score. This can be things like increased ARR, uh, decreased churn, you know, th those type of hard outcome metrics. And so the overall goal is that eventually the people experience metrics are optimized. However, if you're seeing that our systems are improving, our process automation is maturing, and we're still not seeing that people experience, you have to ask yourself, are we measuring the right thing here? Is what is the work that we're doing actually contributing to uh, increased ARR, or is it something different? And so being able to kind of communicate that story to leadership and to the rest of your company 
it is the important part. You know, I, I think that you shouldn't hold teams to those outcomes because ultimately we're all trying to do our best, right? We're, we're all trying to achieve what we can, but it's, it's more about learning together. And it's not supposed to be a gotcha. You know, if you're not hitting those outcomes, they shouldn't immediately slash funding. It should be, we should all of us together because like I said at the beginning, results do not happen on your own. Uh, you know, we should all be working to kind of identify that people experience metric that is the most relevant for the work that we're doing. Yeah, this is, I love the way that you're kind of talking about this as a, as a, as a collaboration and also not a sort of zero sum game. Yes. Um, and I think that's really important. And, and one of the, the frameworks that this kind of reminds me a lot as you're talking through this is actually um, OKRs, right? Uh, objectives and key results. And um, I know that, um, you know, one of the key tenets around objectives and key results, if you're doing them right, and by the way, a lot of companies do them wrong, um, but if you're doing them right, is that it's not supposed to be sort of the zero sum game where it's like you hit 100% of your OKRs. Um, it's supposed to be the process of designing the OKRs, the process of measuring and doing the status updates and communicating about OKRs, uh, and then the process of uh, learning when you miss them. Um, and thinking about, was that even the right goal in the first place? Do we need to evolve this? Are we measuring the right things, et cetera, et cetera, that ends up making it so valuable, not literally the goals themselves. Um, exactly. So just curious about, you know, uh, you know, are OKRs something that kind of ties into this? Is that something we unify around? Um, you know, is that just one example of how outcomes might be measured? How do you see kind of OKRs playing into this? Yeah, totally. So before I worked at Okta, I used to work at a leading strategy execution company. And after that experience, I, I came to believe that there is no one size fits all solution for measuring success effectively. And while you can use and you should use frameworks to simplify impacts, it has to be carefully curated and constantly iterated upon. And most importantly, it has to be organizationally specific. The idea of having this goal and reverse engineering from that goal is not rocket science. The impact of this approach comes from tailoring this to your unique business and strategy. And so I think while OKRs or, you know, we call them VMTs or whatever acronym you use to call this results setting you know, framework, your data team needs to be your best friend when it comes to the governance around impact metrics. Automation should take out the murkiness of self-reporting. And I think a lot of the times with OKRs and some of these other rigid frameworks, people move fast and end up reporting their own goals, which gets to be an issue because, you know, this is not a tooling problem. This is a culture and alignment problem. Mm -hmm. And when you have everyone reporting their own goals, you get a fox watching the hen house situation where everyone's trying to inflate their own achievements and, and it becomes almost another, you know, thing getting in the way of you actually achieving those goals. So I, I think that the most important thing is to have a non-biased 
party within those goals to actually define measurement. And so we see success in this by putting our data team in kind of a three in the box type method with our businesses to make sure that we are defining and measuring things from an automation first standpoint so that no one is saying, ah, you know, we're going to increase that number from six to seven. And it's like, what does six to seven mean? How are we measuring one? How are we measuring 10? Uh, it, it's, it's really important to kind of have that collaborative aspect to be able to kind of take that, again, fox out of the hen house. Yeah, no, that, that I think you're saying you're saying that very well, and talking about an anti-pattern mm -hmm. that often forms here. And you know, I think um, there's two things, right? One is uh, the data team and the role that they're playing in the formation of the goals, right? And I think a lot of times I see teams uh, set goals or set measurements that ultimately either they could never achieve had they just looked at the goal or maybe it was way too easy if they had looked at the, at the numbers, right? Uh, or um, uh, they don't actually have the ability to measure it. Yes. So you end up spending the quarter figuring out how to measure the thing that you had just said that you wanted to measure, right? So obviously that's more around goal setting, but then there's the actual execution, right? How do we hold each other accountable and have sort of third parties, even though you're all working for the same company, obviously, right? Helping when you're actually going to achieve that goal. It seems like maybe that's some of the collaboration that maybe at some companies it's ha it's happening better, right? Yeah. Data team and, and, and the actual kind of line of the business, but maybe in other companies that that collaboration is happening much less so, right? Yeah. Yeah. Albert Einstein has a, a famous quote about this. Uh, in, in theory, theory and practice are the same. In practice, they are not. And, <laughs> you know, we see this in some projects. It's much easier to do this than others. And, and the most important thing when you're kind of looking at this is just transparency and, and being able to communicate that out. And so, you know, the impact measurement framework that I'm really trying to instill has four pieces. It's accountability within the planning. So identifying those impact metric sponsors, it's alignment. Uh, we work to kind of, we work to validate and make sure that we've defined the baselines. I'd say that, like you said, getting baselines is the hardest part of this. And, and you can spend quarters and half a year getting those baselines. And it's because this is a really hard muscle to kind of develop. And, and so after you kind of have a baseline, if you can get that baseline, you want to establish consistency and monitoring. So making sure that there is a performance measurement cadence that's embedded into the actual operating rhythm. So we have a monthly council to do this, to measure how effective our scale is. Um, but, but if you can get those three pieces, the most important piece is the fourth, fourth piece, and that's transparency. And it is debriefing and making sure that there is a broader reporting and communication plan that eyes can actually be on. And, you know, we, we had uh, the CIO of Workday actually come and speak at Okta today and, and you know, I asked her a lot of questions about her impact measurement because she had a lot of really interesting perspectives on it. And she said that the number one thing is transparency, which is also happens to be the hardest thing to develop. Because like you said, a lot of the times leadership knows exactly what they want to measure. 
it's when you get down to the actual actual execution of whether we do measure this and whether it's something that we can even look at historically that that's when this gets hard mm-hmm. and you know we all we want to introduce radical prioritization we want to introduce ruthless prioritization but it takes a long time for the business to get on board and and transparency is how you get on board with the business and everyone kind of needs a formula to get on the same page and that formula is oversharing mm-hmm. yeah no i love that uh there's so much there. Uh, so I think just like a little bit of an aside, like breaking the fourth wall of it here, like I, I, I think one of the reasons that it's exciting to talk to you, Alexa, and learn about how you're doing things at Okta and then sharing that to our audience here is that I feel like y'all have a very thoughtful approach and you're and you've got some really great tools and frameworks that I think others can really benefit from that are, you know, a lot earlier in their journey or maybe hitting the reset button on, on the previous approaches that they've been doing things. So like, I think you just mentioned three things here and, and Juan and I are back channeling a little bit and we're like, Ooh, let's unpack those a little bit more. So those three things are the, uh, the three box method that you were talking about, the three boxes, the, uh, the four pieces, uh, curious about, so you named out the four pieces, but how, how are you applying them? Mm-hmm. And then the, and then the council is another thing that is a really awesome tool. So maybe, maybe we re- rewind a little bit and let's go to actually the three box method. Can you talk a little bit about what, what does that mean that like the data team is like three in a box or in, you know, th- there's a three box kind of thing. Yeah, it means that, uh, you know, results rarely happen because of one single team. Often there is a business team, there is a IT or what we call BT team, and then there is an engineering implementation. So whether it's three, whether it's four, whether it's two, it's just making sure that kind of there is a culture of joint ownership between success metrics. So it's not just the organization that has taken on this, it's all of the you know, other organizations within your company who then help to make that project successful. So, I, you know, I, I think that um, alignment is the hardest part. And so making sure that every team, not just the team that's trying to see that outcome, understands that you're working toward that outcome. So whether it is the actual systems team that's working to, you know, decrease load time, that they understand we're eventually decreasing load time in order for our salespeople to be able to get to information faster, which means that our salespeople have to tell us what that key information is. And, and you know, we're not looking to optimize all of Salesforce. We're looking to optimize the key pieces that are the most important pieces to the business. So making sure that it, the, the business is not disconnected from kind of the technical teams that are doing that implementation, that we're all moving kind of as one unit. So, so I, I love the, the three in the box method, right? Business, IT, engineering implementation, they could be three, can be four, right? So these these are the groups that should be together to define what we're calling that culture of joint metrics. Mm-hmm. We'll discuss these four pieces. Have I got them right? Accountability, alignment, kind of consistent monitoring, and transparency. Are those? Did I get those four right? Yep, exactly. So so this this is fun. I really I really love these four things. Now now we're talking about a scaling a council. Please continue. 
Yeah. So, so we're currently, you know, piloting this council to measure scale. Okta is in a phase of immense growth where we're now focused on addressing all of the debt that we have taken on, which is the not so sexy part of business, right? If you ask your business, what's your most important priority? I guarantee you, none of them will raise their hands and say, tech debt is our most important you know, responsibility. So it, it is the job of our IT org to actually say, hey, you want this, let's back it out into actually what it takes and what that foundational work required to drive that growth and innovation actually is. So it, it's, it's, it, it's arguing that tech debt and our data and IT teams need to actually do the foundational work to support that growth. And this, at what scale in an organization do you start thinking about this? Because I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to everything you're saying. I'm like, I'm just already putting myself in the mindset of like somebody in a, in a smaller startup, right, and larger company. I mean, it, our audience. If I, if I look at kind of the demographics of our audience, they're literally all over the place. Yeah. So, and everything you're saying here is fantastic because it's something that you can apply. But I think one 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 thing that is different is on the scaling side, right? So you don't want to kind of start kind of over engineering earlier stuff. In your experience, yeah. when do you start realizing, oh, we got a lot of tech debt, and we got the scale that we need to start really focusing, putting some priority on this. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I've worked at organizations that are much bigger than Okta. I've worked at organizations that are much smaller and, you know, more of a startup feel. And, and I'd say, like, when you are small, you have to take on tech debt. There is an opportunity cost. You, you can't hire 10 data engineers when you don't have a lot of money coming in. And so I'd say that when you're looking to switch to kind of a more profitable business model, and it's not about, you know, capturing your target market, once you have that target market and you're looking to kind of expand, that is when you're looking to scale. And I'd say people throw around the word scale a lot. Uh, you know, we, we talk about often scaling for durable growth and it's hard because scale and durable growth are at odds with each other. And, and so it's really, it, it's, it, it's a very hard balance that I think that most IT teams of a company of immense growth have to face is at what point do you raise your hand and say, we can't take on any more of this. You know, if we look to onboard a thousand users, it's different than onboarding, you know, a million users. If, if you have a customer that has, uh, you know, a, a huge, you know, login stream. And so it, it's very unique to your organization, but it, it, it's that kind of delicate job of your IT team to raise your hand and, and say, actually, we can't keep operating the way that we move. And I have to say, our, our CIO, Alvina, does a fantastic job at this. She advocates when it's time to advocate, but she also knows when it's time to kind of, you know, let the business dictate what they need. And so I'd say that that, that job of leaders is something that it's very hard to do. And you need to make sure that you have strong leaders. And I, I will only work for companies with strong leaders who can actually articulate when it's time to kind of flip the switch. 
Amen to that. And and I think that there's a really important role that leadership has to play here. I know we're talking today a lot about data teams, but when when you say things like, you know, durable scalability, right, um, that that kind of um, uh, that kind of mission and putting that out there requires uh, leadership that's willing to embrace some of the trade-offs that come with, with, with statements like that. And I think that's so critical to, to, you know, either have that leadership or somebody needs to step into that leadership and provide it. Um, you know, just to double click a little bit more into this council, you know, what, what, what does it kind of look like? Is it kind of, you know, people from all those three categories, those three in a box that you mentioned that kind of represent those three technical layers? Is it different parts of the business? Like, what, what does it kind of look like in terms of the membership? And, you know, is it like a monthly meeting where, you know, you bring a certain agenda and things like that? Yeah, exactly. So so it, it is leaders from across our organization and it is at a monthly cadence and you know our it, it kicked off within our IT organization or our BT organization but it's successful because of the partnership with our business and you know I, I wish that the the question at the beginning was not just snacks but like what would you put in the backpack because I think the most important thing is a notepad and what that scale council does is one, it provides a forum for planning and, you know, all of the important things that we need to do to scale. But it also provides kind of a notepad for our business to kind of iteratively speak up and provide commentary on on the work that we're doing. A lot of the times councils can be very one sided. It's something where we give readouts that that's not what this is aimed to do. This is aimed to present information that eventually people react to. And, and it, it's a two-way street versus a one-way street. And, and I think that, you know, where a lot of data and IT teams fail is, is they report out and they don't ask for feedback. They don't ask for the business to engage. It's not a conversation. What this scale council and you not not just the meetings, but the fact that we're bringing everyone together is aimed to do is to create that conversation with our business to make sure that we are iterating iterating on this and and we're not going to get to the end of an engagement and actually find it didn't meet the needs of our business. You know, I, I, we really need to make sure that we're constantly listening to our business. And, and, and this this doesn't this shouldn't just be only for scale, right? I think this no. is this is for 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 all of the, the three in the box, right? I think exactly, exactly. And and it's it's hard because you know, like like you said, and and Scott Herleman has a really great quote around this with data mesh. Is a lot of the times we think because we've put time and effort into data mesh that we're in the seventh inning of baseball, and and we talk like we're in the seventh inning, but Really, this is the second inning because it doesn't matter how much time and money you've put in. The inning could go on forever as long as you don't have three strikes. And so being honest about where we're at, regardless of how much time we've spent on something, uh, is really important. And, and I'd say that, you know, while we're piloting this, uh, eventually we'd like to move toward, you know, councils for all of our huge cross-functional efforts, because that, that's the important thing is, is that closed loop ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And making sure that you're 
and bringing together all these different ideas across the organization. So that way, um, you know, it's not just that top down approach. It's it's marrying it with the bottoms up as well. And this this reminds me also of the the, the finite and the inf and the infinite games, right? So you're you're I mean the purpose is winning, and we know where the end is. Like, well, no, this thing <laughs> the purpose is to continue playing, and 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 the, and the business that you are in today, you, you want to make sure the business is going to evolve, is going to change, is going to grow, and and, and but it, it, like the game continues, right? And things exactly. Like, I mean, you just need to know how to adapt around that stuff. But how do you figure out how to adapt? Is like you are really having that the, the three in the box. That's I love this. The three in the box. It's a great way of putting this together. So, so, um, so I, for folks that are listening, like one of the things I like that you said is the quote here: the strong leaders. Strong leaders know when to flip the switch. And I'm thinking about kind of more junior folks who are seeing those folks around them, seeing folks who are leaders, like. What is what is uh, your advice on for the junior folks who are like, oh, am I in the right place? And am, am I am I am I surrounding myself by strong, positive leaders, or or maybe you're not, and like you got to go figure out what to do. I'm, I'm curious because you've been you've seen you're seeing a lot of you're you're all, you've been all over the place here. I really love yeah. the advice you've been giving. So get, let's get some honest, no BS advice for folks uh, from from the junior. I, I see I, I have worked for, I work I'm lucky to work for strong leaders now but I have worked for not so strong leaders in the past and the number one quality that I'd say you have to look for is empathy do your leaders put the people next to the, the people at the execution level in the room and give them a voice or do they do this performatively and I'd say that whether you had it, it, well, actually, you know, it, it's two things. It's, it's empathy and it's self-awareness. And so if, if you can use your gut and trust your gut of, is this person that is speaking to all of us speaking genuinely and are they listening? That's the most important thing because a strong leader can admit that they're wrong. A strong leader wants transparency and they want to understand their business. They don't want to just tell people we're moving in the right direction. And if you're working for someone that listens to you and has empathy for you, you know that. And you'll know that in your gut. And you have to listen to your gut, which is something that I continue to learn every day. Because sometimes I'll look back and I'll go, I knew that this was the case, but I didn't say anything. A strong leader will let you ask that question without making you feel small. Yeah, uh, well said. It, when you said uh, uh, performative empathy, that sent a little shiver through my spine because I think that you know uh, that 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 is um, you know uh, something that that you see in uh, when when leadership is is still forming or not there yet, and uh, and I think that. You know, one of the themes, a couple of the themes that we talk a lot about on the show are, are curiosity and empathy and how, how critical they are, uh, not just in leadership, but really in all roles to be successful. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's uh, easy to say things like, you know, I've got an open door policy, 
Yep. Uh, and then and then uh, shut the door <laughs> or or punish you for what you've done within that door. But both of those things reign true. And, and it, it's so important. Like like I said, we are human beings. We are not human doings. And if someone treats you like a resource rather than a strategic partner, no matter what level you're at, you, that, you, that should be a red flag for you. Uh, and, and it goes back to like the the three in the box, like really defining these teams is like you, you will not you should not be seen like pointing fingers or stuff like this is like we're all in here together. We're all we're all figuring out and like it's it, when you have these councils of it's a it's a two way street. All right. It happens a lot. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to go tell you what I've done. And then goes back to like, well, here are the outputs. Right. Here are the results of those outputs. But like. All of these things get connected and we need to be able to understand how do these outputs get connected to these outcomes? Well, that happens when you're talking to everybody. You have all those three three teams of three tools in that box and having discussions. So I think uh, this is this is a this is a fantastic discussion that I think we we're when we're when I'm when I'm talking to folks about where data teams are and how they're providing value, it's it's and I say this all I I, I Talk, I write this little on LinkedIn, like, yeah, you got to focus on making money and shaving money and, and, and mitigating risk and, and show me the money, all these things. But, but really, when you unpack that, there's all this people aspect. Yes. I think it's, it's not just, oh, just about money. I mean, yes, we live in a capitalist world. It is about money. But the way to get there is really about how we have that people and the empathy. And I think those exactly. strong leaders, and I think that's, we need to be able to learn from those strong leaders ourselves. And just especially for a lot of junior folks that I'm seeing that they want to be those leaders. Like these are the qualities, the folks that you should be looking at and having them as, as your mentors. Uh, so here's anyway. the recipe. And, and before kind of we start wrapping up here, how do we get there? Like change management is one of those things here. We should, uh, I'd love to kind of address a little bit. What, what, what are your, 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 your thoughts about this? How do we get to this? very ideal situation that you're talking about that we actually have everybody talking together, the three in the box. How do we get to that three in the box? Yeah. 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 You know, I'd say change management and just adoption in general is always and should always be a work in progress. You don't get to tick done on it ever. You know, that piece is not easy. If you're doing it right, you're constantly iterating. And even if that iteration isn't changing anything, if it's just still doing that pulse check and making sure that you're checking in and looking that you have the right levels of adoption to uh, you know, achieve what you consider is success, it, it's not done. And I think a lot of the times we assume that because we provided enablement that it's done, but it, communication is ultimately, it's not about the communicator. It is about the person you're communicating with. And if they don't understand, no matter how good of a job and how eloquent you think you've put together this argument, if you are not on the same page as that other person, you have not done a good job communicating. And the only way to do this is to lean in to that uncomfortable aspect of transparency. And I emphasize uncomfortable here because it always will be uncomfortable. It's not fun to hear what you've done wrong all the time. However, it's really necessary to kind of keep a log of that and to keep a log of how can we lean into the uncomfortable nature of change management. 
I think we are the, the whole this 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 part of change management is a great way of closing this out because I think um, the, the it's never done right. It's always work in progress. You can't just check. Oh, we're done, right? Just change. It goes back to like almost the, that infinite game, right? Our goal here is just to keep keep playing, and so we're never going to be done with this. Uh, Alexa, this is a fascinating discussion. I can't wait to actually uh, get to meet you in person. We can keep having these discussions. Uh, I'll, be in San I'll be in San Francisco soon, so I'll, I'll keep you posted. But let's let's hit to our AI minute. We haven't talked about AI, but I'm sure something about AI is on your mind. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, so one minute to rant about AI, whatever you want. Ready, set, go. Awesome. AI has changed and will continue to change our world. In my opinion, AI's potential is actually underhyped, and we are only seeing the beginning. However, garbage in and garbage out is more of a reality today than it ever has been. And as AI becomes accessible and used more broadly, there will be more and more solutions out there that are better at understanding and marketing your pain than actually providing any solution. And if someone claims to unify all your data, optimize all your data, or protect all your data with some seemingly magic black box AI solution, well, like my Southern grandmother used to say, something in the milk ain't clean. And if you do not have strong data foundations in order, there is no AI that will truly be able to do this for you. Make sure you understand what foundations are needed for successful implementation before signing on to expensive software. Listen to the people that directly work with your data, resource of them effectively, and understand that advanced analytics capabilities need high data maturity. And AI is not and never will be a replacement for data modeling, data pre-processing, data governance, and good talent. In order to leverage AI, you need solid data foundations. That's it. Amen. And, and especially the data modeling part. It's yep. all about the knowledge and the talent, the people you are going to be around there. AI will make you make the people more productive. So I will. I do say that AI is not taking your job away, but the people who are using AI, they'll those folks will take your job. Exactly. Right. All right. Woo! That was awesome. Uh, Tim, let's go. Let's go to our lightning round questions. I think you got them ready. I'm going to kick them off. Yes. Go for it. All right. Number one: If a data team is output oriented. Is that inherently bad? No, <laughs> you have to be you have to be output oriented at the beginning. I think that it it, it depends. The answer is no because it's not every case. It, yes, if you've done the outputs, you should be looking at outcomes. But you have to measure outputs at the beginning. You have to. You're not going to be able to reach those outcomes without the outputs. I think that's an important um, uh, distinction uh, that it's not. Uh, uh, outcomes at the expense of outputs. Yes. It's, it's the two in combination. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Um, all right. Second question. <laughs> Should it be mandatory for data people to join the business teams when they set goals such as OKRs? Yes. Yes. I I'll say yes. Asterix. Don't put every single data person in there. I don't think you need, you know, 10, 15 people, but you need at least one. You need someone to be able to raise a hand and say, hey, that's not feasible at all. Or, hey, we need this, this, and this before we can get to this. And so I'd also say, you know, use this sparingly because you are constantly in a relationship with your business teams. And ultimately, and I, I say this to my team all the time, 
the business doesn't need us. And if we are making things very hard for us and say this is a relationship, they will divorce us. And once you get divorced, <laughs> you can't come back from that. And so you need to be able to put the right representation of a person who can softly and gently ask the correct questions to be able to maintain that relationship so you don't get divorced. This is that that is a hot, an honest, no BS hot take right there. The business doesn't need us. And uh, if we make things more complicated, they're just going to divorce us. Exactly. That, that is that's another thing that needs to go on a t-shirt tip. <laughs> I, I, I'm just like thinking about that right now, because I think the prevailing uh, thought around data teams right now is, is a bit entitled. Honestly, I think it's yes. like, damn the business. They can't live without us. How would they even do oh, their jobs? Okay. Right? Fully about this. This is what gets me so freaking annoyed is that you have all these data teams. They feel so freaking entitled. I'm like, no, get off your, get, no, stop it. Stop exactly. it. They can operate without us. Again, most decisions don't need data. You can make decisions with your gut and most even, often than not. But when you're making decisions decision at scale, data. you need data. But like for the most part, at the beginning, they don't need you. No, <laughs> you have to prove that they need you. And even they haven't making it with the data the way that, I mean, the business have been doing it already for so long, right? Without these sophisticated systems, the goal here is like to make it more efficient. More, more, but then we get off into this entitlement of, Anyways, this should be like another episode. About <laughs> There's another episode in that. About how entitled the data can feel. Next question. Well, kind of this next question is like a little bit related. Let's see. Can you measure the impact a data team is having, or is it always going to be indirect? Hmm. I, I think. say it's direct. And I, I, I'd, say, I'd say, no, it won't always be direct. It, it, it's hard because like, again, a lot of work the data team does is so foundational that it, you, you can't always look at the way it translates. However, it depends what role your data team is taking, right? So like if your data team is kind of like an extension of your product team or like an extension of your marketing team, then yes. But if your data team is... It, it, yeah, it really depends on the role that your data team is. And the role that your data team plays in your organization will also have to do with how mature your organization is. And so it depends on what the tenants and kind of core strategy of your data team is. That wasn't a yes or a no, but that's my answer. <laughs> that's important nuance. It's it's uh, it's kind of both depending, right? I think everybody um, who listens to this to realize that we have like these lightning round questions that are yes or no, but they're never end up being yes or no. So. <laughs> we try not to pigeonhole our guests. We're we're nice. All right. Um, is it getting so? Uh, last question. Um, is it getting harder to be a data professional? Yeah, and, and it's getting harder because everyone thinks that. AI is going to do our job. And kind of like I said during that AI rant, uh, most executives don't understand data. And that's a good thing because an executive's job is not to be able to do analysis. It's to be able to be as decisive as they possibly can. And you need to do everything that you can to enable them to be decisive. And now that they have a thousand solutions out there with these people that say, we're going to protect all your data, you'd say, hmm, I don't know if I need a security team because this guy is going to do it for, you know, 
2000 a month and I have to pay you guys, you know what? Like, and so it's getting harder because now these people who are inherently technical people also have to be very good at arguing and debating. And again, that goes back to having a leader that is, is good at putting themselves in the room and knowing when it's time to push and when it's time to step back. And so I, I'd say, yes, it, it's getting a lot harder because data professionals have to almost be everything. And when you're everything, it's like, how can you hone in on one thing? And so you have to build data teams with people that are both technical and inherently non-technical because you need to be able to wear a thousand different hats and and no one can do everything. And so making sure that you have a team, and I'm very lucky to work on a data team that I can say is extremely well-rounded to be able to both do the analysis and do the arguing is really important. And it's just going to get harder. I'm already imagining a t-shirt that says, <laughs> uh, most execs don't understand data and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. They go walk around a con like a, like a, a conference, like Big Data London will be, and see what people will say about it. It's that. a little bit counterintuitive, but it, it makes sense. It's it makes perhaps sense. a hotter take than it should be. Um, <laughs> and, and I love your statement about you know everyone thinks AI is going to do our job, and you know I, I see the hype building where people are like, yeah, AI, like BI will finally be solved. Uh, let's go rewind about 20 minutes. Alexa, you said garbage in, garbage out, right? Um, and, you know, people have 10 BI tools and only one data quality tool. Maybe they should have one BI tool and 10 data quality tools. Just throwing yep. that out there. All right. <laughs> so we've gone through a lot. Uh, Tim, take us away with takeaways. Kick us All out. right, takeaway time. So we started off with Honest No BS. You know, output outputs versus outcomes. How do we get there? Um, and uh, Alexa, you really started us off by saying, hey, you know, uh, a, a lot of folks may be focused on ticking box, you know, ticking boxes uh, and, and just the output aspects. And, you know, later you did add a lot of clarity that like it's not that you shouldn't focus on output. Right. But it's that the outcomes are ultimately where you're trying to drive towards. And that's where you're really going to get scale and impact from your data teams. Um, outputs are leading indicators of outcomes. If we aren't understanding outcomes, then what's the point? Um, and you said that over at Okta, right, you've got certain key drivers of impact for your business, whether it's the, the development of key features or enhancing the security or improving the customer experience. And so driving the metrics that drive those particular outcomes, that's where a lot of the data team focus needs to be. And in collaborating with the different parts of the business, whether it's marketing, customer success, et cetera, to drive those results, which I think was really, really important. You talked about understanding the customer journey and really collaborating around that and really trying to generate better and deeper insights sites that can be deployed in collaboration with the business. This idea of a closed loop ecosystem where the insights connect to the right person or uh, a system to leverage it uh, as automatically as possible. Um, we talked about measurements, right? You can't measure everything. You have to create a culture of joint ownership. Um, you talked about how outcomes aren't necessarily a quarter or less. A lot of these outcomes are a lot longer range. Um, and you talked about uh, these sort of three categories of, uh, of things, system improvements, which are non-negotiable, like reducing load time, reducing cost, 
um, process automation, uh, if we're doing these outputs correctly, we should see uh, impact around process. Uh, and then people experiences, which are really the hard outcomes that people really feel things like uh, customer satisfaction, churn, et cetera. And all three of these categories are important, but you can't put the burden on uh, the outcome uh, of the outcome on a, on a team. It has to be more than one team. It has to be a shared burden. Uh, we talked a little bit about OKRs and how that may be related, but that's one framework and don't become over-indexed on the frameworks. Uh, and through talking about OKRs, uh, you mentioned about the sort of three in the box method where, um, you know, results don't happen back to that comment just because of one team. It's the business, it's IT, and it's engineering slash implementation working together. And whether that's three teams for you or four teams for you, the key is that you're working together and you have joint metrics. So I thought that was really, really, really critical there. Um, there's so much more, but Juan, I'm going to pass it over to you to give your takeaways. So in addition to the three in the box, you talk about the, like the four pieces, accountability, alignment, and getting those baselines is the hardest part because it's a real hard muscle to develop. Consistent monitoring and then transparency, right? The transparency overshare. This is how we get on board with the business because we're being transparent. And then we talked about this whole council to measure scale, right? And it's really when you're at that moment of scale, like addressing all that tech debt is that we have like that's not sexy but hey if you want to drive growth and innovation that's the foundational work that needs to be done you need to ask yourself what is that foundations that we need to be built on so we can go scale now note that if you're coming from like in a small organization small company like you have to take that tech debt right there's opportunity cost so you have to take that tech debt tech debt but at scale is when you're like actually switching to a more profitable business model right you have your target market that's when you start switching and i think uh, when it, the strong leaders, they know, like they understand when the, when you have to flip that switch. Um, wh wh when do you raise your hand and say, we can't do this anymore this way, right? We can't operate this way anymore. Like those are the moments that you start realizing you're switching into scale. Uh, and, and, and part of this council is like leaders from across the work, right? That three in the box, you talk about either like monthly cadence. Uh, and in your case, like it started like from IT, but it's really successful because it works with the business. And I think you have this great commentary about, Bring your notepad. Like, hey, if we're going on that uh, on that uh, on that road trip. Like, also bring your notepad because there's a lot of comments around here that we want to keep track of. Like, it's not just a reporting. Like, here's what we did. Like, we want to also get your feedback, and it's a two-way street conversation. Um, and then uh, talking about strong leaders, right? Remember, they're the ones who know how to flip the switch. Look for leaders. You know, they're strong leaders if they're em empathetic. Look for empathy and self-awareness. Right. Is that person who's speaking to us? Are they being genuine? Are they listening to us? You want that transparency. Don't just say, hey, we're moving in the right direction. Right. And, and strong leaders will really make you feel comfortable asking those hard questions. And then we've, we wrapped up with change management. Right. Adoption and change is always a work in progress. You can't just tick the box right there. Keep doing that pulse check to make sure that you have that right adoption and changes for the stage you are in is key. And let's lean into the uncomfortable nature of change management. How did we do? What did we, anything we missed? I love it. You guys did a really great job and I'm, I'm so grateful to be here today talking to you. This, this well, has been a great experience. Well, the, we just repeated what you, this is, this was all you. Yeah. <laughs> we Thank didn't you. do anything. You, you did it all. Uh, we just yeah. listened yeah. to you. Perfect. So to wrap up, throwing it back to you, uh, what's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? Yeah. <clears throat> Well, I'd say my, my advice is for data teams, the closer you are to your business, the better your data is. 
take the time to listen and listen iteratively. Um, and, and also uh, wear sunscreen. Um, <laughs> I, I got fried on my vacation and I'm so scared of skin cancer. So wear sunscreen. Um, it's good advice for everyone. <laughs> um, uh, just, just by the way, I, I love how everybody, well, everybody gives like really profound advice like this, right? Either about data, about life. But then once in a while, we have like those little comments, which are really important advice too, like wear sunscreen. And there's one advice that was, still sticks with me a long time ago, a couple of years ago. I remember Pat Berry, he was on our, uh, he said, have a long USB cable. <laughs> and I have a long USB cable. I have all over the house with me. It's, it was a game changing advice. Anyway, back to you. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Um, who, who should we invite next? And I have to say that I, I went through and everyone that I thought we, we should invite has been on here for the most part. The, the one person, and he has no idea I exist, but I love following him, is Robert E. Uh, and the work that HyperQuery is doing to kind of work to revolutionize shareable analysis it's so cool. And Robert, I'm following you. I'm rooting for you. Um, I think you should be on this podcast. Um, I'm also curious, who, who are you thinking about? Uh, that has been um, I was thinking about the girls from prequel. Uh, so, and uh, I was thinking about Chad Sanderson, which is some, it's is a resource I follow that I, I love Chad. I love his simple truths about data quality. Uh, he mm -hmm. tells it like it is. Um, yeah, uh, and I guess to kind of move into, now that I've used Chad to kind of transition into resources I follow, I am a firm believer, and I always have been in Jamak Degani's uh, data mesh, uh, uh, and a big fan and friend of Scott Herleman. Um, I, I love the, the data mesh paradigm shift. I, I started my career looking at data mesh, and it, I have never looked at something and said, this makes sense. But... In you basically to enable capabilities to get out of your experts' way is the only way that data works at scale. You have to enable self-service. You have to look at data as a product. And I think that the data mesh captures that so perfectly in the way that this is not a tooling problem. This is a people, a processes, and an organizational problem. And we should treat it as such. I think that is a beautiful way of wrapping up today. Thank you, Alexa, so much. This was a fantastic conversation. Uh, just a reminder, next week, Tim and I will actually be in next week. We're in Amsterdam, Tim, and we're going to mm -hmm. we'll be uh, doing that. Yeah, we'll be coming to you from Amsterdam. We'll have a rant session mm -hmm. just to me and my, uh, next week. And then after that, we'll actually be at Big Data London, and we will be live for Big Data London with uh, Chris Tab. And with that, Alexa, thank you so much. We really appreciate this conversation. It was phenomenal. So many thank good you. insights. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. And I hope everybody that's listening had a good time. I sure did. Uh, thanks. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, Alexa. Cheers.